Poor Joseph. The woman that he is supposed to marry has just told him that she's pregnant, despite the fact that they have never known one another in the so-called biblical sense. Surely Joseph is feeling hurt and angry, lost and confused. According to Hebrew scripture, an adulteress shall be put to death, plain and simple. That's the law that had been handed down from generation to generation since the time of Moses, a law that no one ever bothered to question in so far as we know until now. You see, Joseph is no fool, though he may look like one to his friends and family for staying with Mary. He's wise enough to question the conventional wisdom of his time rather than simply doing as he's told. And his willingness to challenge the status quo saved his marriage. It saved Mary's life. It saved Jesus' life. It may well have saved the whole world. Our scripture scripture reading today is from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. So now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose birth we await and whose name we pray. Amen. So I have a general sort of distrust of authority, which is probably why I got into a fight with one of the counselors at church camp when I was younger. I mean, to be fair, I was only 13 years old. It's an awkward age. You start asking questions, and more often than not, the adults just tell you, because I said so, or because that's just how it is. That used to drive me 
crazy when I was younger, and it still does. You know, if you can't justify something or even defend your own position, maybe it's because you haven't challenged your own assumptions. I saw an interview recently with a guy who was condemning critical race theory, for example. And when asked what CRT actually is, he replied, well, you know, I, I don't know too much about it, but, uh, but what I do know, I don't like. And what is it that you don't like exactly, the interviewer pressed him. Well, uh, you know, um, like I said, I'm not really going to get into it because, uh, you know, I don't really um, understand it all that well, but, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just, what I do know, I don't care for. When I was a kid, I suspected that a lot of the adults around me were just repeating their inherited assumptions or things they'd heard on television without giving it much thought for themselves. And as an adult, I realized that much of the time, I was right. Back to church camp, I can remember being assigned kitchen duty one evening, and I was given the job of handling all the place settings. Oh no, dear, one of the volunteers corrected me in a patronizing tone of voice. The knife goes on the right side of the plate, followed by the soup spoon, and the forks go on the left, with the salad fork being the furthest to the left. I stared at her, and she continued, you see, you work your way in from the outermost implements as the different courses are served. Now, this was the first time in my life I had ever heard of anything like this, that silverware was supposed to be arranged in a specific order. And I actually thought she was joking. Now, I'm sure my mother would tell you that she taught me all about such things, and it's entirely possible that she did, but apparently I wasn't listening. Okay, sure, I laughed as I continued to leave the knives, forks, and spoons in random configurations as if trying to baffle future archaeologists attempting to decipher their meaning. No, seriously, the older woman insisted. That's not how it's done. Well, why does it matter? I asked her. Excuse me? She inquired, her large smile beginning to waver. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter where the knives and forks are? I asked. Insisting that they be placed in some specific order seems awfully arbitrary. I mean, if you had a hundred different forks, I can see the value in organizing them somehow and, you know, creating some kind of a system. But there's only two, so it's not like they're hard to find. And, and really, I pressed her, why do you need two forks at all? Well, she started to reply, beginning to look a little put out. Well, that's just how it's done. But why, I pressed her, why not just use one fork for the salad and the main course? And for that matter, why not begin with the silverware on the inside and work your way out? I could tell she was beginning to get angry that this was a hill she was prepared to die on, but I'd already thrown down the gauntlet and I couldn't back down now. Why not eat my salad with a spoon if I want to? I protested defiantly, waving a spoon in the air. It's a free country! Because, she growled through gritted teeth, snatching the spoon from my hand and laying it neatly beside the butter knife on the table. That's not how it's done. Now do it right, she shouted before storming back into the kitchen. Now looking back, I realized that this episode was a formative moment in my life, a core memory that solidified my need to question everything.
Now, in hindsight, I can admit that I acted like a jerk about it, that I probably should have just let it go and done as I was told. But, but I hadn't, and I had, I had poked at the facade, and I had found that there was nothing underneath, no explanation, no rationale. Now, I mean no offense to anyone who appreciates a properly organized place setting. I know most folks will argue that decorum is what separates us from the animals, but what's what prevents us from descending into barbarism and anarchy and so on and so forth, and that's a valid position to hold. Just don't tell me because I said so, or because that's how it's done, because that just tells me that you haven't really given it much thought. Now, if I have offended anyone by questioning the utility of the salad fork, rest assured, I got my comeuppance many years later. I can remember being on a date with a young woman when I was in seminary and picking up the wrong fork to eat my salad. That's not the salad fork, she corrected me. See, she'd grown up in an upper-middle-class family in the South where table manners were paramount. And in that moment, I suddenly found myself turning back into a 13-year-old punk and essentially rehashing the exact same conversation that I had with this poor volunteer at church camp. I knew it was stupid. I knew I was being obnoxious, and I should have just let it go. But once I'd gotten started, I couldn't help myself. Why not eat my salad with a spoon if I want to? I asked this poor girl, waving a spoon in the air. It's a free country. After a long pause, she set her fork down in its proper place at the table and replied, I just don't think this is going to work out. <laughs> Mary looked at Joseph, tears welling up in her eyes. I just don't think this is going to work out, he told her. It wasn't the response she'd been hoping for, but then what had she hoped for? Had she really thought that Joseph would believe that this was God's child, that it didn't belong to some other guy down the street? Did she really expect Joseph to believe that she had been faithful to him? Truthfully, I imagine Joseph didn't know what to think. I imagine that he adored Mary, that he couldn't believe that she would do this to him. But he couldn't believe her explanation either. It was so crazy. He was hurt, and he was angry, and he was confused. As a betrothed man, he was well within his rights to call off the wedding, and worse, tradition dictated that Mary be punished for her infidelity, and punished severely. The law handed down from generation to generation was clear. Adulteress shall be stoned to death. That's just how it was done. But we're told that Joseph was a righteous man. He seemed to realize that this law, this tradition, was cruel and insane. That the so-called cure was worse than the disease. Surely infidelity is horrible, but throwing rocks at someone until they die is arguably worse and Joseph wanted no part of that sadistic tradition. I was recently watching that beloved Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, you know, which follows this boy named Ralph as he navigates the holiday season in the 1940s. And at one point, he accidentally drops the F-bomb in front of his father, and as punishment, his 
His mother forces him to wash his mouth out with soap, which I guess was a fairly common practice back in those days. And as you may recall, in the movie, Ralph has this fantasy while he's sitting there with this bar of soap sticking out of his mouth, where he's all grown up and he goes home to visit his parents, who learn that he's now, in his older age, completely blind. Oh, dearest son, please tell us, Ralph's father begs him, what could have possibly brought you to this lowly state? To which Ralph, staring into the distance through dark sunglasses, replies, it was soap poisoning. Personally, I'd argue that forcing a kid to eat soap is a lot worse than saying a naughty word. But for a long time, that was a tradition that no one questioned, just like spanking and other kinds of corporal punishment at home or in schools. It's just how it was done. Why? Because your parents said so. Same goes for first century Nazareth. That was the law. The law was the law, and you didn't question it. Except that Joseph did question it. He could have called Mary out in front of everyone, dragged her to the village gates, and had her put to death. He was supposed to, because that's what the law demanded. But he didn't. And with a little encouragement from an angel, Joseph even kept their engagement and helped to raise this child that wasn't his. And I think we can all agree that Joseph did the right thing, that he chose a better way. I've been reading a, a series of Japanese comic books this past year, and one night I was reading one of them next to my son, Levi, uh, while he was playing a game on my phone, and he turns to me and he asks, Dad, why are you reading that book backwards? You see, in Japan, books are read from right to left, not the other way around. I explained this to Levi, who insisted that this was dumb and didn't make any sense. Well, maybe reading them from left to right is dumb, I told him. You ever think about that? You see, in the West, we tend to assume that things ought to be done a certain way and that our culture is superior. This is especially true in America, where we shun the metric system and the 24-hour clock and nationalized health care. But looking around at the state of things nowadays, I can't help but feel like our confidence has been misplaced and that, in fact, we've been getting a lot of things wrong that our inherited assumptions are sorely mistaken. From generation to generation, over the years, we have been taught many things. We've been taught to assume that infinite growth on a planet of finite resources is possible. We've been taught to assume that GDP is a measure of human flourishing and that rampant consumerism makes us good citizens that the invisible hand of the market is impartial, that economics can be decoupled from ecology. And just where precisely have all these assumptions led us? Forests are burning, seas are rising, rivers are drying up, biodiversity is crumbling. There is plastic in our rain, our blood, our neonatal tissue in the womb. It's recently been 60 degrees outside in December. 
And that's just the environmental impact of our assumptions, to say nothing of the inequality, the disparity, and the violence that these assumptions also create. And we act as if this is all just normal, that this is just how it is, it's just how it's done. But it is not normal, writes environmentalist and political scientist Steve Jenko. In the million-year history of Homo sapiens, our current world is in an unprecedented, essentially instantaneous explosion of people, wealth, innovation, and, as we are coming to realize, life-threatening externalities. Nothing remotely like it has happened on planet Earth before. Now, Jenko isn't just sort of referring to, you know, 2022. He's, he's talking about the meteoric rise of industrial civilization over the last 200 years. But it's a helpful reminder that things were not always the way they are now. That things don't always have to be the way they are now. Our whole civilization is just a small blip in geological history, in deep time. And its continued future depends making some better choices. In a sense, we are at a fork in the road. Which way do we turn? A fork is called a fork precisely because it is multi-pronged. It diverges into avenues, offering a variety of possibilities and paths forward. Some of them, I believe, are better than others. I mean, it's probably not advisable to eat your salad with a spoon whether it's a free country or not. But metaphorically speaking, do we really need two forks when we can make do with just one? Like Joseph, I believe we can find a better way than the decadent road that led us here. Jesus, in his teachings, actually illustrates it. Taken as a whole, they provide a roadmap for a more sustainable, more equitable, more just society. He calls it the kingdom of God. And that is what we await in the Advent season, friends. If not a better world, then the instructions to build it. It all depends on Mary and Joseph rejecting the assumptions of their culture and choosing a better way. As he grows older, Jesus will do the same, challenging the status quo and advocating for a different kind of world than the one he was born into. Will we?